0: Uh, welcome to everyone who's come along to this um first of the sunday afternoon talks for 2022 uh this is uh, we uh the regular venue since the uh the former sala has been decommissioned so we'll be having uh, all of the sunday talks here in the temple that's the plan and uh so uh hopefully uh, this is a, a pleasant enough venue we'll we, um arranging the tea break so that things are, the tea is available out in the, the cloister. That's the plan. Uh, so that uh, things will be fairly close to the familiar setup from uh, previous years. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Namo Tassa Bhagavato. Arahato, samma, sambuddhasa, namo, dasa, paññato, Arahato, samma, sambuddhasa, buddhanghamang sanghangnamasami. The theme for this uh, first talk of the uh, the, this rains retreat uh, is go away. I'm Practicing Metta. So uh, the titles get suggested by uh, a variety of, of uh, community members. There was 175 suggestions to choose from <laughs> this year, so many, many titles, and uh, tried to select a, a variety of um, topics that cover different uh, important areas of, of Buddhist practice. So this uh, this title caught my eye, uh, since it's a, uh, both about the practice of loving kindness, but in particular, it's about how um, the attitude towards our practice, our efforts at meditation, make uh, make such a, a big difference. So this thought, uh, or the, the words "Go away! I'm practicing. I'm practicing metta, or I'm practicing loving kindness." Um, probably all of us who've endeavoured to practice meditation have had. This kind of thought, uh, something very similar to it, from time to time, that uh, we set uh, we we set ourselves up to have a period of meditation to to do uh, some sitting practice or walking meditation, and then something comes along to interfere that uh, is sort of, you know, spoiling my meditation, interrupting my meditation. We've chosen the, the perfect walking meditation path, and somebody has taken my path, or we we sit down to to practice. Uh, loving kindness, and then there's uh, some machine noise outside the um, uh, the the hall, or uh, someone comes to to knock on our door, and uh, the um, uh, the interruption uh, is then met with this sense of reasonable hatred, reasonable aversion. Like, you know, don't you know I'm meditating? You know, shut up and go away, leave me alone, um, because I've got this spiritual practice that, that I'm doing. So uh, I, and this is, um, I, I would say, uh, a, a useful theme, because for many of us, uh, there are these kinds of mind states that, that we encounter, and it uh, is, uh, I'm not reading anybody's mind, but these, I would say, are familiar to many, many people, and these come up for, for all of us, and that the uh, uh, the feeling is that you know, I have undertaken this particular this particular practice or I want to do this thing and this is a good thing. The, the, uh, the intention to practice loving-kindness or to practice meditation to, of some kind, it's wholesome, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's w- worthy, it's a noble intention. So it's a good thing, uh, at least uh, uh, theoretically. And so we have a skillful intention but we don't realize the attitude that we're bringing to that. And so when somebody comes along and knocks on our door, or they make a a lot of noise, uh, Lomposometa used to make a a point of um, when we had meditation retreats, if people came uh, to sit in the hall who had a a nylon jacket or a nylon anorak (laughs) that would make a a noise every time they moved, that would get uh, get commented upon. (laughs) So that the... um, uh, and this sense of you know you are disturbing my meditation, or uh, if there wasn't this thing interrupting, then I could practice. It seems quite reasonable on a surface level, but uh, I feel it's worth looking at, exploring as a subject, so that we can see you know why that that sense of disturbance or, or uh, that sense of irritation is arising. And I would say a lot of it is to do with the way that the the, uh, the mind holds uh, the effort of meditation, that uh, we are taking it very personally. You are interrupting my meditation. I am meditating. You have come along and interrupting my practice. Um, and so even though that might seem reasonable or, or a fair assessment of what's going on, we don't notice that there's a me who's meditating and you who are coming along to interrupt it. There's... Uh, there's a sense of self and other that is woven into the picture. And we, uh, it's so automatic, so ordinary, that we, uh, we don't realize that. And so then uh, that, is that quality of, of aversion, you are interrupting my meditation, uh, brings up what we call vibhavatana, the desire to get rid of it. If you weren't there, if you weren't knocking on my door, if you weren't interrupting me, if there wasn't this, this noise, if there wasn't this person who's taken my walking meditation path, then I could practice, then everything would be all right. But uh, as uh, the Buddha pointed out in the very first discourse, that, that desire to get rid of, Vibhava Tanha, that itself is is a cause of more more friction, more dukkha, more difficulty. There's a, a, a particular uh, example Lumpo Chai used to give very often in this respect because uh, in, in Thailand... Uh, uh, back in the old days, before there was a lot of traffic noise uh, and, uh, or, you know, or um, uh, sound of, of, uh, of a, uh, people nearby, the forest itself would have a, 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 a lot of loud sounds from the crickets and the you know, animals in the forest. But also, when even when Ajahn Chah was a, a young monk, then uh, amplified sound in the local villages would be a, a feature of northeast Thai life. And he would tell a story of how when he was uh, a young monk on his wanderings as as a Tudong monk, he was uh, traveling through the countryside, living in remote places, and he would camp out in forests or on hills or in, in in caves for periods of time and and He would tell the story of how one time he was in this remote area and had set up his mosquito net and was was camping in the forest and then there was this uh, this loud sound of amplified f- uh, festivities from the local village. Came reverberating through the forest, and and uh, he could uh, see himself sitting there, thinking, "Don't they realise there's a monk meditating here? You know, there's a, a monk who's uh, intent on spiritual practice. I'm a good monk. You know, I keep the rules, and it's very uh, demeritorious. It's very bad karma to be to in, to be interrupting the meditation of a good monk, and uh, getting himself quite irritated and worked up by the uh, with uh, sort of what he thought was reasonable aversion towards this this noise, which is interrupting his meditation, his practice. And he, then he uh, he would often then recount how he noticed what he was doing. He was creating this aversion, this vibhava this this negative attitude towards what he was experiencing. And then it suddenly dawned on him, oh, the sound isn't annoying me. It's me that's annoying the sound. The sound is just doing what it does. It's just the... The air vibrating, it comes through the through the the countryside. Um, it, it, it arrives here in the forest. I've chosen to come and sit in this place. You know, I've I've chosen to come here. I've put myself in the way of this, and so now this sound lands upon my ear. And and then I create this irritation because I call myself a monk who is meditating. And so, if there's any irritation here, if there's any conflict, it's only coming from one place. It's not coming from the sound. It's coming from, from this this mind, this this jitta, this this monk. That's where the the conflict is coming from. So he said, it's not the, the sound annoying me. It's me annoying the sound. And then uh, m- many of you who are uh, familiar with uh, familiar with Samato's teachings uh, and uh, will have heard the the story of how le- in later years when Ajahn Chah. Made a, uh, his first visit to England in uh, the late 70s. They were um, they, they were in this small vihara on uh, Haverstock Hill, There's a, a two two houses next door to each other, right across from the Haverstock Arms on Haverstock Hill near Hampstead Heath. And it was a very big thing, you know, having this great uh, forest meditation master coming to visit. Uh, this this little group in in London and uh, that uh, uh, this uh, American monk, Ajahn Sumedho and uh, Lumpur Kemedamo, the other English monk, was there with him. And it was a very special occasion, so a lot of people had showed up and uh, seemingly I wasn't around. I was a hairy student living about a mile away (laughs) at the time, uh, still uh, at college. Uh, I had no idea they were there, so I wasn't interested in Buddhism at the time, but I was in Primrose Hill, just about a mile away from from where this was happening. And uh, anyway, it was uh, the weather was something like this. It was a kind of hot, uh, steamy weather, and so that uh, they uh, they gathered for the evening meditation, and uh, they had the windows closed because there was a lot of uh, noise coming across from the pub. There was the loud music playing in the Haverstock arms, and then they sat in the, the small shrine room at the vihara, and then the temperature got warmer and warmer and warmer, and they were sitting there, and time was going by and then eventually they opened up the window and then the the music was louder they could breathe there was a bit of fresh air and then the 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 rock music coming from the pub was was really loud so then after a little while then they closed the window again that the noise got a bit quieter and then the temperature started rising and got warmer and warmer stuffier and stuffier inside the the shrine room and then uh, again somebody opened the windows to let some air in and the music got louder and and Lumbochao apparently, uh, again, I wasn't there, so I just go by the hearsay. But apparently, he let this go on for about an hour and a half. So they were just sitting there, and uh, this um, about an hour and a half went by. Well, the, you know, the window was opening, the window was closing, the music was getting louder, getting quieter, and uh, eventually, Lumpo <coughs> you know, rang the bell, and, uh, and then said. Uh, and then gave this this teaching uh, based on the insight that he'd had in the forest all those years ago by saying uh, you think that the sound is annoying you but actually it's you uh, annoying the sound and uh, that uh, I feel is a, a, a it was a very powerful object lesson <laughs> since uh, they were all sort of packed into that one little place and uh, they were sort of uh, had been thinking of, oh, uh, this, this is very unfortunate. This is happening. This is this is really kind of spoiling the meditation. It's so hard or it's so noisy. Uh, if only it wasn't like this, then we could have a good session here with this great master from from northeast Thailand. But in characteristic fashion, Lumpur Chai just sort of turned the whole circumstance into uh, uh, the the teaching itself. So th- this is this is what we're learning from. Look at how it works. Uh, you th- we think that the the sound is annoying us; we think that that thing is uh, is making me suffer, but actually it 's what the mind is doing with this uh, in this moment that is uh, that 's creating the, any any kind of difficulty, any kind of conflict so uh, this uh, I feel is, is very very helpful in so far as we know, if we notice how we set ourselves up for dukkha we, we create these ideas let 's say. Um, you know, uh, we're having a Sunday afternoon dhamma talk, so it should be like this. You know, we should have silence. If suddenly they, uh, the uh, the the work crew have been developing the, some of the the site here, if they if they suddenly showed up on a Sunday afternoon and decided to do their concrete breaking <laughs> during this talk, then oh, that's a, be an interesting feature. I hope they don't. Uh, I would be very surprised if they did, but uh, that would be part of what, what we learn from. Uh, there have been you know, other occasions where. Um, you know, a few minutes into a, a dumber talk, then somebody gets too hot and keels uh, keels over on the, the the seat, falls off the chair. Then the, that becomes part of what we're all learning from: is oh look, you know, someone's someone's passed out. We, we need to attend to a, a medical emergency. For that, uh, we set ourselves up. Uh, we're expecting this, and then. Uh, we think of, of things that can come along and disturb what it is that we're aiming to do. But if we have a, a, an attitude uh, instead, where we're laying aside those uh, those expectations, those sense that sense of it should be this way, it shouldn't be that way. Uh, this is uh, what uh, you know, we are. We have the right to expect. Uh, then we are we're not creating the, the the causes for that kind of wrongness, that kind of discord, or or discomfort within us. So this sense of how, uh, bringing attention to how we set ourselves up for dukkha or for no dukkha, <laughs> I think is, this, is a extremely uh, important. Uh, uh. I was also reflecting on this theme, I was remembering um, somebody I used to know when I was, um, I, I used to visit California and I was living in California for about 15 years and, uh, and and during the, the early years I was there, the, the group would rent a, an apartment in in the city of San Francisco and I'd be there for three or four months and then come back here to Amravati and uh, come and go for about five or six years. And then later we opened up a Bhagiri Monastery in, in Northern California and I moved there. So In the, the early years when I was visiting, there was one of the people who was a regular member of the Buddhist group and um uh, and so uh, when whenever this person came along to to the group we, you know, it was a fairly small collection of people and we, we were, I would chat and get to know folks and, and kind of uh, hear about their lives and uh, this person always seemed to be having a, a lot of difficulties. She had uh, you know, motor, uh, had a, a crash on her bicycle, or um, she was having a a, a a difficult legal case that she was having to deal with in terms of of the rental for her place, and one thing after another. I thought, oh, this person has got so many difficulties in their life, and I felt a, a great deal uh, of sympathy uh, for them. In that, oh, you know, this person has so many troubles, so many difficulties, uh, and legal difficulties, physical difficulties, and so uh, that was. Uh, a very, very sort of strong feature of this person 's life, and uh, I hesitate to, to use someone as a particular example, but it was very uh, a very significant case in point in, in this area because uh, one day she invited me to have a meal at, at her at her house at her apartment, and uh, so I went round there with uh, the anagarika who was uh, the other monk who was staying with me that year, and uh, we were uh, sitting out in the the back part of her a little house and had a small, uh, pa- uh, small garden area, a kind of paved garden area, and um, and she mentioned I, I, uh, I've got a court case going with a neighbour because um, I want to cut the branch off this tree because the, the, the branch is shading my garden, uh, and uh, but the neighbour won't let me cut the branch off the off the tree. And so uh, uh, and I looked in, 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 in the garden and on that side of the garden, there was a number of plants. And they were all in individual pots. And I said, well, uh, excuse me, but why don't you, uh, you, it seems as though the orientation of your garden is such that you're going to get sun you know, in the morning and the afternoon, and you, you, know, you get sun during the day. And she said, that's right. So well, why don't you move the pots from this side of the garden to that side of the garden where they won't be shaded? And she said, well, I want them there. That's that's where I want them. And so I, I was startled. I thought, oh, wait. So you, you, you uh, institute a court case to prevent your plants being shaded because you want to have them on that side of the garden rather than move them over to that side of the garden. She said, yes, that's right. And so, um, again, I'm not trying to shame this person or make fun of them, but it was just this sense of, like, oh, I, th- I think I know why there's so many difficulties in this person's life. And and uh, it was extraordinary. that I said, well, wouldn't it be easier just to move the plants? He says, yeah, but I don't want to move them. That, that, that's where I want to have them. So I thought, oh, that, this is how we do it. <laughs> this is one of the ways that we arrange our lives so we keep, uh, I say, Causing ourselves difficulty again. I'm not trying to make fun of this person or, or shame them, but to, uh, rather, it was a powerful lesson. Like, look at that. What we do, we 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 set our minds on. It's got to be this way. It should be like this. It shouldn't be like that. You know, I am meditating. Things should be quiet. <laughs> this is my space. Yeah, uh, yeah. <clears throat> and that uh, nobody else should be here. And uh, and and because of that fixity, because of that rigidity of mind, then. We're, we're setting ourselves up for dukkha uh, i thought i would share with you uh, 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 again on this this theme but someone who uh, i feel was quite insightful i brought along a poem and this is by a poet called billy collins some of you might be familiar with this poem it's called another reason why i don't keep a gun in the house so some of you might know this some of you might not but i thought uh, i would uh, if you're not familiar with this, I thought I'd introduce it to you. It's a very insightful way of working with things that we don't like. Another reason why I don't keep a gun in the house the neighbor's dog will not stop barking. He's barking the same high rhythmic bark that he barks every time they leave the house. They must switch him on when on their way out. The neighbor's dog will not stop barking. I close all the windows in the house and put on a Beethoven symphony full blast but I can still hear him muffled under the music barking, barking, barking. And now I can see him sitting in the orchestra his head raised confidently as if Beethoven had included a part for Barking Dog. When the record finally ends he's still barking sitting there in the oboe section barking. His eyes fixed on the conductor who is entreating him with his baton, while the other musicians listen in respectful silence to the famous barking dog solo, that endless coda that first established Beethoven as an innovative genius. So I thought there's a, a wonderful example. <laughs> the, uh, that uh, uh, you know, firstly you're, you're annoyed this dog is barking, 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 and then how can you shut it up? But then the mind adapts, and then uh, imagines Beethoven actually writing a part for a barking dog <laughs> in one of uh, one of his, uh, his orchestral pieces. So our, our mind can adapt, we can reframe things, we can uh, reconfigure you know, our our thoughts, our attitudes. and this is one of the, the great skills of, of Buddhist practice is like looking at how we set things up, looking at our expectations, looking at our desire systems. What we feel yeah, you know, is the way that things should be, and then to ask ourselves, well, who says? Or, you know, did may, maybe Beethoven really did include a part for a barking dog <laughs> in one of his pieces? So the uh, the set of expectations that are there, and also, uh, as I would underscore, that sense of of. I want it to be this way, I don't want it to be that way. This is my space, this thing shouldn't be here. This, uh, uh, this is uh, say how I, uh, I want to, to practice, this is how I want things to be. And so any of that element of eye-making and mind-making that comes into meditation, as I've been mentioning a few times during the, this community retreat, uh, right there is where it's important to bring attention because the more there is a me and my practice, my mind, you know, how I think things should be, how I think I should be, the more there is that I making and mind-making, then the more we are, we're setting ourselves up for dukkha. There's an interesting sutta um, where it's called the Five and the Three, the Panchataya Sutta, sutta number 102 in the Middle-Length Discourses. Where at the end of the teaching, the Buddha points out how there can be someone who's meditating, someone whose um, mind is very very clear, very bright, very peaceful, and it occurs in the mind of that person, I am at peace, I am without clinging, I have realized Nibbana. And uh, what, what the Buddha is pointing out is that the very way that the mind phrases that, that insight or that experience it indicates the clinging that is there. And in Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation, of the, the Wisdom Publications edition of that sutta, the middle-length Discourses, very helpfully, it puts the I both in italics and it underlines it. You know, I am at peace. I am without clinging. I have realized Nibbana as a, a way of highlighting. That's the clue. Uh, it's my practice, my mind, you know, how I think things should be, what I have achieved, how I am... That right there is the the, the clue as to what the, the, how the mind is is holding it, and that the, the Buddha is saying how you know if if that quality of identification and clinging attachment isn't recognised, then once again we're setting ourselves up for for dukkha. We're creating the causes for disappointment, for dukkha, and that sense of of, of wrongness. So in this respect, then uh, it's. Uh, in that particular sutta the Buddha points out uh, that uh, with respect to relating to sensory experience, he says there is the arising and passing, the origin the disappearance um, uh, in terms of sight, sound, smell, taste, touch and thought there's the origin, the disappearance the gratification the danger and the escape with respect to sense objects so uh, it 's like changing the, the the attitude, changing the way that the mind relates to thought to emotion to perception to uh, uh, whether it 's what we call the inner world or the outer world. here is hearing there 's a sound of a barking dog or the the sound of a, of a plane or the the um, sound of you know somebody coming to, to visit us there is a, a sense perception it arises it passes away there 's There's the gratification, the asada, and there's the adinava. There might be a pleasant aspect to it, and there'll be a downside to it. The uh, origin, the disappearance, the gratification, the danger, and the escape. The escape is recognizing it's just a sound. (laughs) It's just a feeling. It's just the mind saying, that that was my walking path. I had called that my walking path. (laughs) Until this retreat started, it it wasn't my walking path. Now the retreat has begun. It's my walking path. I always walk there. <laughs> yeah. Don't they know? That's my path. And then when the retreat comes to an end, it's not my path anymore. <laughs> Again, I'm not trying to make fun of anyone or shame anyone. You're thinking, how did he know that? But we we haven't had any uh, uh, on-site retreats for, for, for visitors for a long time. But even for monastics, it's easy to relate to. Uh, Uh, to uh, my walking path in those kind of ways so that change of uh, perspective, the origin, disappearance gratification uh, the danger and the escape the arising and passing the asada is the gratification like that can be the ah, peace at last it's finally quiet the workers aren't here today yes and then ah they come back that's the the gratification the asada is like yes peace at last then adenava the liability is this is not a, a safe refuge <laughs> that noise can start again or somebody can cough or somebody can come in with a, a nylon jacket you know, or uh, uh, somebody can uh, can take our, our place uh, and the, the escape is the recognition of it's just a sense perception it's just a form arising in the world of hearing, of seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking—that's all. So that uh, in uh, uh, in this respect, if we we change the the attitude that is present in relationship to to, to meditation practice or development of of loving kindness, in particular, then. Uh, what we're uh, we're still giving a direction we're still saying yeah, loving kindness is a is a wholesome and uh, and fine quality it's worth developing um it's uh, we're not dismissing the the capacity that we have to uh, develop useful skillful qualities but the way that we are setting about uh, bringing qualities uh, of uh of wholesome qualities of mind like loving kindness or concentration the development of, of wisdom the way that the mind is setting that direction and putting effort into those qualities that that is being radically changed. So rather than it's I've decided I want to practice metta I'm going to practice metta, that's what I'm going to do or I'm going to develop my concentration or I'm going to be developing wisdom yeah, I need to get rid of my chattering thoughts, I need to, to uh, be more focused i need to to get, uh, get rid of my uh, laziness and dullness you know all of that you know i've got to get i've got to get rid of all of that is uh, based on the uh, bhava, bhava tanha, the desire to become bhava tanha, the desire to get rid of so uh, uh, w- uh, I like to emphasize and I've been talking about this a lot recently I feel, because I do feel this is a, such a, a crucial area of, of practice because it seems so automatic, like yes I have got a lot of chattering thoughts and, I, and if, they, if they just went away I would be happy <laughs> or like, yeah, I, I have got chronic pain if I didn't have that pain I, I, would, be mu- I would be much happier I would be really comfortable if, if I didn't have that noisy neighbor uh, yeah, then uh, I would be really happy. Uh, so on, a, uh, on a, a kind of a worldly practical level, we can seem reasonable, like a reasonable aversion to the sound that's interrupting our practice or reasonable aversion to a chattering thought or a, 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 a yeah, chronic pain. But the more that that is believed in and, and automatically followed uh, and not, not challenged then we are right there creating causes for more dissatisfaction, more more dukkha. You know, in the the Buddha's very first discourse, we, uh, we chanted this morning here, the uh, morning meditation, the Dhammachaka Sutta, uh, when the Buddha is spelling out the causes of dukkha, the causes of dissatisfaction, tanha, you know, <coughs> the desire for sense pleasure, and bhavatandha, vipavatandha. They're like the sort of quiet outriders, like the... Uh, uh, Karmatana, the desire for sense pleasure, is like the sort of the big limousine at the centre of the procession, and then bhavatanna vi are like the motorbike outriders, the kind of quiet, sort of the ones you don't really notice because they're they're not the main article. <laughs> the, the big limo gets the attention, but the outriders of bhavatanna vi they are sort of definitely a presence there. And and in terms of meditation, often they have more of a of a negative and, and obstructive influence than than. Than the karmatan, the desire for sense pleasure. So, in this respect, setting the uh, the intention, uh, setting a direction in our life, making the effort to say cultivate loving kindness, or to cultivate concentration, to cultivate uh, wisdom. These uh, these intentions can be established completely free of self view, uh, as I uh, I like to point out. The, the, the second element of the Eightfold Path, sama sankapo, right resolution or right intention, that there has to be a way that we can generate intention, that we give direction to our life, to our mind. There has to be a way that direction is given free of self-view, free of that eye-making and mind-making. Otherwise, that couldn't be an element of the Eightfold Path. Every a- a- aspect of the Eightfold Path is... Is peaceful and leads towards uh, peace. That's it's uh, it's the path leading to the end of dukkha. Dukkha niruddhamini patti So, that the fact that there is right resolution, sama sankapoo, that uh, attu- uh, uh, resolution or intention that's attuned to dhamma, attuned to reality, means there must be a way that we can make decisions, we can give direction, we can make choices that are uh, uh, that is. Both peaceful in, in its execution, in its, in, its uh, in, in following it, and in the result. Similarly, with right efforts, uh, the effort which is uh, attuned to dhamma, samā vayamo, there has to be a way that we take action, we work, we do things. <laughs> not only have an intention, but we act and make effort. There has to be a way that making effort is not stressful or burdensome. Otherwise, there couldn't be a samā vayamo as part of the eightfold path. Yeah, uh, So I feel this is uh, it's an important principle to really <laughs> take in because we so easily make a, any kind of effort, any kind of doing is burdensome. Just chatting with some people earlier today, I was pointing out how it's, it's weird, kind of ironic, that uh, in meditation, often the most peaceful moment of meditation is when the bell goes, not just because your legs can be released from their, their cage, <laughs> but because... <sighs> I don't have to keep doing that thing, and even the meditation, which is which is designed to be leading towards peace and freedom, it's become this thing that I'm doing, and therefore stressful, burdensome, and 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 something that we're glad when the meditation's over. <sighs> isn't it? Isn't it weird that it should be that the meditation should be the peaceful part, and when the meditation's over, then you go, oh, that uh, that's finished but often it's it's the reverse and we've turned meditation into this thing that i have to do this kind of stressful task this kind of chore that w- that we undertake and that uh, but we don't have to relate to uh, to meditation in that way at all though when the the buddha is spelling out the qualities of of samma vayamo, of effort which is in tune with with dhamma which is a, which is uh, in a sense, effort which is stress stress-free, uh, which doesn't lead to, to tension or is uh, making effort which is uh, which is uh, free of that quality of burdenness, then this has four elements. Here. The, the, as many people are very well aware, the Buddha was a great list maker. So this uh, the the, uh, the aspects of of uh, making effort in a skillful way. There are four parts to this. The first one is to consciously restrain the unwholesome from arising. So sangvara, to, to set the uh, intention and make the effort to not allow the unwholesome to arise so that um, they're recognizing th- through the quality of mindfulness and wisdom, this is wholesome, this is unwholesome. So yeah, jealousy, anger, restlessness, cr- negativity, um, uh, anxiety, these are unwholesome, these are obstructive. So to set the intention to restrain those, to not let those arise, that's sangvara, restraining. Uh, And then if unwholesome qualities have arisen, if there is that sense of restlessness or or jealousy or fear or boredom, aversion, uh, lustfulness or or, uh, uh, agitation, if that has already arisen, then to consciously let that go, to, uh, to recognize, oh, this is unwholesome, this is unhelpful this is obstructive therefore let uh, let the uh, let that be abandoned let that be relinquished let that be let go of so that uh, with those with respect to those there doesn't have to be an i've got to res- i've got to suppress my anger i've got to suppress my fears and my doubts and my restlessness i've got to get rid of these agitated thoughts that have arisen uh, there, there doesn't have to be any I or mine. I've got to to hold this back. I've got to, to get rid of this. That's all the I-making and mind-making of the desire to become, the desire to get rid of, and that's all extra. The effort can be made uh, to restrain the unwholesome from arising uh, and to let go of the unwholesome that has arisen, completely guided by... Satipanya by mindfulness and wisdom. There doesn't have to be any kind of I or me or mine in there at all, and so uh, the um, uh, the say development of, recogn- of recognising when <laughs> that I making and mind making has arisen. That's a, the key part because it's it's insidious. It's very it's very quiet. It sort of slides in, uh, and sort of through the through the back door. It's something that's not easily noticeable but the more that the mind can be trained to recognize that eye making and mind making to to know that to feel that and to let it go then effort can be made um free of uh free of self-view free of that kind of uh uh, that pressurizing habit so it's rather like going for a walk if if uh you want to go out for a walk in the country then you're just going out for a walk you're not trying to get to some place in, as a specific uh, aim but rather you're going for a walk but even if you're just going for a walk quote unquote <laughs> it can easily be like you'll find yourself driving forward just sort of leaning into the next uh, uh, the, the next uh, uh, footsteps and got to get, got to get, got to get and that even just going for a, a, a walk can turn into a, a burdensome chore if we recognize that that kind of leaning into the next moment habit, recognize that, feel that, and then relax. Then we don't have to stop in our tracks. It's not like the the walking stops and it's kind of frozen in in place. But rather, the 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 walking continues. But there's a, a different attitude towards it. There's a stillness of the heart as the body keeps walking, as the body makes it, its way. And so the action is being taken, the effort is being made, but without that that uh, me got to get somewhere being laid uh, over it, being being kind of imparted uh, into the picture. The mind doesn't have to invest in that. With the cultivation of the wholesome, uh, recognizing that loving-kindness is a beautiful, wholesome quality, uh, and bringing loving-kindness into being, or concentration, or development of, of wisdom, recognizing you know, these are wholesome, noble qualities, these are valuable, these bring peace and, and happiness, contentment and freedom within this individual, they're beneficial for other beings around, they are they're helpful I- in all respects, and uh, one can recognize you know, here these are wholesome, these are noble, these are, are beneficial, uh, and the effort can be made to bring that, uh, those qualities into being, cultivating loving-kindness, and then, if lo- if uh, wholesome qualities have arisen, so that that uh, cultivation is bhavana. Or also, he just uses the word for meditation, bhavana, to bring into being, to cultivate wholesome qualities, and then to sustain, to maintain. When there is loving kindness, or there is there is clarity, there's uh, there's uh, wisdom that has been brought into being, then. Uh, that can be maintained, the effort to hold that in place, to, to keep that going, to keep that fire alive can be made, and again it doesn't have to be, I've got to have more meta I've got to get concentrated I've got to develop more wisdom, I need to develop insight <laughs> I, and now I, I am concentrated, I've got to keep this all of that eye making and mind making is again completely extra, it's unnecessary and that the more that the cultivation of the wholesome and the maintaining and being of the wholesome is sustained through is energized and, and sustained through mindfulness and wisdom. Then effort again is being made, direction is being given, choices are, are being are being followed. But it's uh, it's stress free. It's not burdensome. There's no kind of uh, sort of uh, efforting uh, involved in that. It's not it's not something that creates a sense of tension. And so there's no. Uh, no dukkha no dissatisfaction generated on account of that so the uh uh if we can shift the um uh the, the attitude to um to work with uh, with effort free of uh, self view and giving direction and, and making effort free of self view free of conceit then uh when we're practicing metta <laughs> we don't feel like you know, go away leave me alone But rather, uh, there's a whole different. There's a change of heart. Uh, We are ready for surprises. We're ready to adapt to circumstances. Like, oh, well, uh, I was sitting down to practice loving kindness, and it seems I'm going to have to have loving kindness for this loud noise that's (laughs) happening outside my room, or this uh, loving kindness for this uh, this searing headache that just uh, appeared uh, in uh, in my uh, in my head. or that um, it seems I'm going to have to have loving-kindness for this unexpected journey I've got to make you know, outs- uh, across London to go and, and uh, see somebody uh, in a, in a far-off place. If we have that kind of um, uh, adaptability, then uh, th- no, no thing can interrupt our practice. No thing can be a, an intrusion, and that heart doesn't, you know, say... Uh, develop that kind of contention or that, that that's that stressing and aversion because it's uh, the the, ba- the the basis of your of, of the attitude is adaptability it's kind of readiness to be open to the way things are as they're experienced when talking about loving kindness and i also i like to emphasize there's two uh, attributes or two aspects to the development of loving kindness if, uh, if it 's being developed <laughs> uh, in the most skillful way um, there's a uh, tra- traditionally uh, often loving kindness meditation is uh, is taught in quite a structured fashion so that many many of us have been, been on retreats or have given uh, classes or, or uh, been in guided meditations of loving kindness. And it can be, um, say, either you start off with uh, generating loving kindness towards yourself, and then to the other people in the room, and then to people in the in the local area, in the villages around you, and then in the in the countryside, and in the towns, and through the the whole of this country, and out beyond the uh, the, the seas, and as a kind of geographical spread around the planet, and then out into the universe, a sort of visualization process going bit by bit through the through the sort of geographical. Uh, spread, they sort of radiating loving kindness in, in a geographical way or it can be uh, through different categories of beings. So first of all st- you, almost always you start off with yourself with, uh, as uh, this individual being and then having loving kindness for yourself and then first of all those to whom uh, those who are very dear to you, who are very close to you, people uh, that you have natural affection and love for and then for the, the beings that you are indifferent to and the beings that you have uh, had conflict with or had difficulty with other people or, and then through the different categories of uh, animals and birds and fishes and insects and uh, creatures. Uh, and uh, I, 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 uh, I recognize that those kinds of meditation, meta-meditation can have a lot of value and they can be very um, you know, liberating and, uh, and helpful. But it also it can turn into a bit of a laundry list or a kind of a geography lesson. Okay, what's just beyond Hemel? What's it? is is Hemel Hempstead? Is that directly south from us, or is that kind of south and a bit east, or is it west? And, and you can kind of get caught up in the geography. What was his name, that bloke? You're so annoying. What what was his name? And then you get off on a side track, and and it, it sort of turns into sort of going through your address book or through the through the through a geography lesson. or... Uh, through the solar system, is is Neptune before eh, Neptune's the last one? Oh there's Pluto. Oh, Pluto's not a planet anymore. <laughs> you get into these sort of distractions, and uh, the the whole point of loving kindness has been lost along the way. So uh, for myself, I found rather than going through the, these more kind of um, structured forms of loving kindness meditation. I found that a couple of the ways that, that Lumpur Sumato has taught uh, Metta Bhavana over the years uh, is very, very, very helpful, and um, that uh, again, it can, it, it's to some degree, it involves self and other, you know, this being and other beings, but it, it also involves the uh, uh, focusing on, on the breath or using the rhythm of the breathing. So it's a kind of combination of. Uh, uh, and mindfulness of breathing and loving kindness meditation. And once, when he was leading a, a, a retreat in in America, in, in California, but the, the first five days of the retreat, this was all the meditation instruction that, that Lumpur Plum gave, yeah, over and over again. <laughs> through, for the first five days of the retreat, was on the in breath to to uh, arouse the in- intention. May may I be uh, may I be at peace. Uh, May I be at ease, and then on the out breath, may all beings be at peace. May all beings be at ease. That was the instruction for for five days, (laughs) over and over and over and over. And that part of me was thinking after a a day or so, oh, he's going to get on to the next bit soon, and then the next bit. And no, he didn't. And then, and then he didn't again. (laughs) And and then he didn't again. (laughs) And so by about the third day, I said, okay, this is just going to have two weeks of. May I be at peace? <laughs> May I be at ease? May all beings be at peace? May all beings be at ease? And then, uh, funnily enough, after about the fourth day, oh, this is really enjoyable. <laughs> this, is, this is really sabai. This is really, uh, uh, really, very really peaceful and easeful And uh, of, and the genuine quality of metta that uh, I found that uh, uh, when I was using the practices of going through the the lists of, of beings uh, or the geographical spread, I get so drawn into the technicalities, the content, that I'd, I'd forget the actual Brahma Vihara, the actual uh, div, sublime abiding, the quality of the heart. But with this this uh, way of combining this extremely simple instruction with the rhythm of the breath, just staying with that, then it was uh, uh, much more of an ability to uh, contact the, the quality of loving kindness itself, the actual metta, metta. <laughs> Not just the idea of metta, but the quality of of loving kindness, that quality of of benevolence, well wishing as a direct experience, and so uh, uh, that was a very big, very big, and very noticeable contrast for me. Uh, and in that, um, in that combining of metta bhavana, or met, the, the development of loving kindness, with the breath. Um, uh, I began to see, and also the way that Lumpur Sumaito was uh, talking about it, was that there's really two aspects to the quality of metta. And uh, often when, uh, when uh, Lumpur Sumaito w- would talk about metta, he would, rather than talk about it in terms of having a sort of love for all beings, he would use the phrase, not dwelling in aversion. Not dwelling in aversion, which can seem a little bit emotionally flat. <laughs> But not, not dwelling in aversion was how he would use it. And that was because uh, one of the reasons was when he, he was first teaching loving-kindness meditation, and he would use these kind of more sort of systematic, structured forms, that he found it a bit so sort of technical in himself, and he would get, uh, say, lose, lose the sense of the feeling of loving-kindness, but also he found that for, for many people that it came across as just a, a kind of sentimental um sugary uh trying to as he would put it think pink to, to kind of sugar everything over and it was a came across as a kind of sentimentality trying to make ourselves like everything and like every being and so um he found that uh, when he was teaching loving kindness in that more sort of structured way that oftentimes it would have the opposite effect like, you know people would get really annoyed kind of i was fine actually, until you had that meta day in the meditation retreat and then i was really annoying <laughs> and that's not an uncommon experience you know, the practice was going great until we did metta and then that was I got really irritated <laughs> in fact uh, if I remember correctly what, there was somebody once led a meditation day long at Spirit Rock Center in California with the title I Hate Metta I think it was based on that theme of like uh, how annoying that kind of sentimentality or just sh- metta as sort of sugaring everything over so uh, lumpo Sumaita is a very um Say, uh, creative and adaptive teacher. He's ready to adapt to circumstances and experiment with things. So he thought, well, let's just stop talking in terms of, of loving all beings. Let's talk in terms of not dwelling in aversion. So, so because you can be, you can be kind to things that you can't, that you don't like. That loving is not the, uh, the loving of meta is not the same as liking. And we, we met, maybe people are making that mistake of trying to make themselves like everything, and that's what creates irritation or aversion or that, that kind of. Ugh, I can't. It's just sugaring things over. It's not. It's not real. It's not genuine. And so he said, we can be open-hearted. We can not dwell in aversion. We can be kind towards things that are completely unlikable like a, a two day headache or a, a machine noise outside the window or some you know someone has taken you know, my meditation path <laughs> or someone is uh you know, uh, upset you know, uh, interrupting my meditation we can't like the unlikable but we can be kind towards that we cannot dwell in aversion so that uh, that i feel is representing uh, the primary quality of of metta is what I, I like to phrase it as a radical acceptance, that open-heartedness. So, like, here it is, whether I like it or I don't like it, here it is. Like the the current heat wave that we have here in uh, in England and uh, through much of of Europe. Uh, we might like it or we might not like it, but here it is. <laughs> yeah, Sunday afternoon at the uh, ten to three, hot. <laughs> For some people who've grown up in hotter countries, hey, this isn't this is quite benign. It's not even forty degrees. You know that uh, you might feel this is this is still quite uh, quite manageable. But uh, uh, here it is. The weather is exactly like this. This is the way it is. So that uh, the the quality of metta, which is receptive, like the in breath, I feel that's the real root, uh, that the heart of metta is that. That the the openness, the receptivity. Here it is. uh, uh, Whether I like it or not, uh, this is the way the the universe is in this moment. It's exactly this way. And then the other part of metta is the expressive. So the the out breath uh, is the uh, in terms of our breathing. uh, is we breathing out, we're breathing out the carbon dioxide. We're letting that go. We, what we breathe in is the oxygen that keeps the body alive. What we breathe out is the stuff that we don't need, so or it's, it's less crucial. It's that it's necessary for the whole breathing process, but the real life source is the in breath. And so I feel that the ex, the expression uh, of loving kindness or uh, benevolence to all beings. That's in a way that's like the outbreath. breath that's the sort of the result of having breathed in having having that quality of of wholehearted acceptance uh, that radical acceptance here it is this is life is exactly like this in this moment it's this way <laughs> then that being the case then the natural response or the the effect of that is then well wishing is uh, benevolence uh, that that kind-heartedness towards all beings and towards all mind states as well because when we talk about having loving kindness for for all beings again as uh, lumpur samata would very very often emphasize it's not just uh, external beings other people other uh, other living creatures but is also uh, in terms of the development of Metta uh, as a fundamental attitude it's uh, it's also the internal creatures the 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 inner uh, menagerie the, the the, the characters that occupy our own mind, our own heart. The states of mind our our feelings of, of like and dislike, our, our fantasies, our fears, our, our regrets, our jealousies, you know, our excitements, our opinions. You know, all of the different mind states that we experience, that it's, it's important that there's a quality of, of, of uh, radical acceptance to our, uh, the, our inner collection of, of beings as well as the external collection of beings and so that then uh, even if what we're experiencing is sort of resentment and hatred having loving kindness for that is not that you're saying it's beautiful or delightful but uh, there's a feeling of, of hatred or resentment oh that's what's arisen here's this feeling of, of uh, i hate and then that which knows that feeling of, of hate and resentment it's a uh, it's able to be aware, oh, this is, this is unwholesome, this is unskillful, the heart is open to that, it recognizes that, you're not pretending that it's good or beautiful, or that there's a, a wish to follow it, or that it's worthwhile following it, but, uh, uh, but here it is, it has like a wave of hatred, like, oh, when, when's this going to be over? It must be nearly three o'clock, time to stretch our legs and have a cup of tea, must be, soon, five minutes, in case you're wondering. There's no clock behind me. There's a clock here. <laughs> Five minutes <laughs> till the tea break. But um, so that having loving kindness for our mind states—the the, the the pleasant, the painful, the neutral, the, the wholesome, the unwholesome, and the neutral—we're uh, not. We're, there's a discrimination that the quality of mindfulness and wisdom recognizes this is hatred, this is resentment, it's a, it's an unwholesome mind state. If this is followed, it'll be painful here, it'll be painful there. Everybody loses. Therefore, it's part of nature. Hatred is part of nature. Resentment is part of nature, yes. But not everything that's natural is beneficial or, or helpful or, or useful, uh, Hatred is part of nature, otherwise it couldn't exist. It's part of the natural order. But if it's followed, then it'll be painful here, painful there, and and there's more discord and division as a result of that. So that uh, receptivity, is uh, uh, that open-heartedness, is also part of that is that wisdom factor, the, the mindfulness and wisdom that recognizes here it is. In this moment there is this feeling of hatred or resentment using that example and so it's it's but it's unwholesome and therefore it's here therefore it's one of those qualities to be let go of it's if it's arisen then pahana that let go to to not feed it not sustain it if what arises in this moment is an all-encompassing love and delight oh look at all these wonderful people isn't this great i'm so happy to be here with these this these wonderful people this good occasion yes this is great then that's a, 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 a wholesome, uh, say, uh, uh, the, uh, beneficial quality. So therefore, that recognizing a wholesome uh, quality of appreciation, of kindness, of, of, um, of benevolence, therefore, anurakana, let it be sustained, let that be maintained, let that be kind of, uh, held, held in being. So this is one particular way of developing loving-kindness that... Uh, or one way of working with it, I, I feel is is helpful. To it's not the the definitive. So sort of how meta practice should be understood, but if this is used and um, and used free of those habits of of uh, the desire to become, the desire to get rid of, and free of those the attitudes of of uh, self view, then that. Um, then you know, not just the, the kind of formal practice of loving-kindness is beneficial, but even when uh, we're, we're uh, faced with the barking dog <laughs> or the machine noise or the uh, aches and pains or, or uh, suddenly having to disrupt our, our practice. I've been on retreats before. Where literally, I had the uh, thinking, great, winter retreat, finally, things are at last cooled down. Just three months of... Nothing but uh, being in the monastery. Yes, and then there's a call, Ajahn. You know, our son's in the hospital in Seattle. Can you come up? He's, it's it's really a dire situation, and we'd really love it if you can come. Can you come? Yeah. Okay, Seattle. <laughs> Better get a plane ticket and get going. And then next thing you know, you're doing your your retreat's carrying on, sitting in the children's hospital in Seattle for for a few days. So that if we're adaptable and uh, we have that sense of um, the openness, open-heartedness to all situations, then there, there's nothing that can interrupt the uh, the, the, uh, the development of loving-kindness. Uh, we don't have to tell people, we don't have to tell our thoughts or our feelings to go away, or, any, or anybody else to go away, that we're practicing metta, but rather every circumstance of our, of our life, is an occasion to cultivate that, uh, that openness of heart, that radical acceptance, and that well-wishing. So it's now one minute to ten seconds to three. So we'll call it to a close there, and we can have our tea break.
1: So um, you, t- you talked earlier about having restraint um, for... Aversion anger ill will anxiety how does one restrain these
0: things? How does one restrain these things how does one the short answer is practice <laughs> so, well, firstly the um just to be able to recognize what is uh, what is unwholesome or unhelpful that 's you know, in a way that's part one is recognizing. You know, if this is followed, if this is acted on, if this, spoke, this is, is spoken on, then there's there's painful results. So, uh, recognising that first of all, is uh, and acknowledging that. Uh, again, I was saying a lot about not taking things personally, you know, not building up a, a, a sort of sense of self around that. So, with uh, unwholesome things, uh, kind of anger, aversion, lustfulness, jealousy, uh, anxiety, and so on. It's uh, it's very helpful, uh, to the degree possible, to not see those in a personal way, because it can be like, I don't want to look at my anger, I don't want to look at my jealousy, uh, just, uh, and we want to sort of switch off and not feel, and not, um, not connect with that. So, uh, one of the, the um, uh, sort of powerful tools that the, the Buddha spoke about and is an important part of Buddhist psychology is what is called hiri otapa actually outside the temple doors you've got these sort of two sort of angelic figures, a blue one and a red one either side of the door and they represent hiri and otapa and these are the kind of a, a representation of moral sensitivity so that sense of conscience like when you've told a lie or you've acted in a way that was hurtful or, or selfish then the hiri is that Oh, that wasn't very beautiful. Oh, oh, that that wasn't really true. Oh, that was that was selfish. So it, they are painful psychological states, but they're useful. So in a way, the more spiritual maturity there is, the stronger heria and otapa are. And then the otapa is often translated as the the wise fear of consequences. Like if this is followed, this is going to be painful. <laughs> or this, this is going to have a, an unpleasant result. So. Um, Hiri and Otapa are—they're called the guardians of the heart, or the guardians of the world, the Lokapala. So, uh, to uh, first of all recognize those unwholesome, unskillful qualities, and to uh, not take them personally, like they will, rather than my anger, or I've got an anger problem, or I've got a jealousy problem, or yeah, I've I've got a complaining problem. Rather, the the mind has a tendency towards anger. <laughs> the angry feelings arise very easily. Full stop. Not I have an anger problem, but this is part of this system. Uh, is that anger can arise, or jealousy can arise, or you know, resentment, uh, lustfulness, or, or selfishness can arise. So uh, that recognition of it is important, and also that sense of of a this has arisen this is it's not personal but here it is <laughs> there's a habit of this angry feeling or this jealous feeling this anxious feeling arising and uh it takes quite a lot of work so in terms of of developing that ability to acknowledge those unwholesome qualities and not take them personally then mindfulness and meditation are the sort of principal tools where we're watching the mind we're focusing the attention on how the mind works and then hel- and then using that mindfulness and meditation to uh, adjust the attitude so that then it's like, yeah, this is an angry feeling. Um, it, I didn't invent anger. It existed in the universe before I, I was around. <laughs> uh, but here it is. It's felt here. And so both receiving it, acknowledging it, but not taking it personally, then um, the that um, can then be recognized. And then I would say the last part is then having seen, like, say, an angry impulse or a res- resentful impulse or a selfish impulse, having seen that arise, see that, well, that's, uh, this, this is unwholesome, this is not beautiful, watching it doing its thing and then watching it fade away, like, oh, what was it that I was angry about? can't remember. Oh, look at that. Noticing the space after it's ended. It's like, and I was upset about... Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you actually have to reform the problem. Look at that. There isn't really anything there unless the mind makes a problem out of it. Aha. Uh-huh. So that, in terms of, of uh, encouraging the mind to see things in that way or to work in that way, it's like recognizing the good results right, of... Of having watched that angry impulse or resentful or irritated impulse, having watched it uh, arise and having you know, watched it, it pass away, then oh, look at that! I'm really glad I didn't act on that. Yes, and that letting that yes, so again, really be acknowledged. Like this is the good result of not acting on an unwholesome state. Sweet. This yes. Yeah. More of this, please. And That's a, I would say, it's a, it's a good more is better, <laughs> but because uh, that oftentimes we can get uh, so involved in saying you know let go let go let go let go, but not realizing what's the result of letting go, and then having re- letting that really be conscious, I find is so helpful. Right? This is the mind not caught up in that state. How does it feel? Very nice. <laughs> you're not gl- you're not glossing over that waiting for the next problem to come up but, but uh, working with it in that way so to break that down uh the acknowledgement of the the unwholesome states not taking them personally working with them with meditation and mindfulness and then looking at the g- the good result of having worked with them in a skillful way and then repeat yeah <laughs> Endlessly. <laughs> Usually, the ridiculous amounts of patience are required to kind of over and over and over again, you know, just learning the same. Because the patterns are often very deeply rooted. But then, if we patiently, patiently work with them over and over again, then things do transform over time. So, any other questions, thoughts? Yes, Martin. If you can can wait for a microphone. It is, it has come.
1: Ah. I was inspired by the uh, attitude towards meta being eliminate the negative first of all because um, you see somebody in the street and you think he's overweight so but he's probably a good guy probably kind to his mother and um, people with wrong coloured skin or speaking a language which I don't understand a word. Um, they're probably all right, they're okay. But it's a start. Um, one of the Ajans told me about pain, that I, when I hear the word, the term painkiller a shudder goes down my spine I can't avoid it um because pain is um a friend can be a friend you think oh there's that pain again can't do anything about it but um It'll go, it'll pass, and um, you see the attitude of the usefulness of pain (laughs) is that it prevents you from doing something which you shouldn't be doing anyway.
0: Uh, by the way, Martin was a pharmacist, is that correct?
1: Yes, Yes. I uh, still am.
0: <laughs> Excuse me, yes. <laughs> but I would fully agree. I think uh, p- people often, uh, say, as I say, they talk about painkillers or, or, or criticize or complain about experiencing pain. But just like Heriotopah, pain exists in nature for a, a very important purpose it's the most in terms of physiology the nerve endings that register pain are about the most simple nerve endings that we have in the body the most basic uh, f- receptors of feeling are pain because uh, that's what protects the body most effectively it means like stop doing this thing that you're doing otherwise you're going to cause more damage uh, or that this has been damaged already pay attention look after this because if you don't look after this injury or this infection then things are going to get worse so uh, i've often used that as an example that uh, pain works by being unpleasant that's how it does its job and so that rather than fearing or resenting any kind of pain or feel like wouldn't it be like, wouldn't life be great if we never had any pain that um, i would i would echo your attitude rather to look at pain as a as a, a, a friend that works they, their friendship is exercised by being uncomfortable that's how, they, that's how pain does its job and that it, it's a uh, is like a moral pain or a, a psychological pain that it's useful, it tells us what you just said wasn't true <laughs> that was uh, you, were, you were bending the truth for the sake of uh, telling a story or self-advantage uh, so now there's the feeling of wow, there's the discomfort, because that, uh, that's the signal that things were were out of balance, out of whack, and so that it's a it works by being uncomfortable, and it gets our and pain gets our attention. Cha would often say uh, the, uh, that too much comfort and people get get complacent. Uh, Wapapong, uh, his monastery is deliberately uncomfortable it's, uh, it it is an uncomfortable place to live yes <laughs> o, o, on purpose because uh, we we get complacent we fall asleep if things are too cozy, too comfortable so it 's like a deliberate use of of uh, discomfort not out of sort of self mortification or self torture but uh, we uh, uh, discomfort pain gets our attention. So like in terms of protecting the body, we, we, we look after that, that knee or that, that joint in the back or that, that cut so that we, we pay attention to it so that more damage doesn't get done and the whole system is benefited accordingly. Any other thoughts, reflections? Yes, please.
2: So, uh, Ajahn, thank you very much for for your talk. And two questions. The first, um, when the ends and, and awesome states arise, how to let go? If you can give some... Some examples, and the other when these uh, uh, when these states arise and are very strong, how to avoid the reaction?
0: So the first question was: Can you say that the first question again was Um, an example uh, of an? How
2: to let go? How to let go? So um, uh, anger, for instance, arises Mm -hmm. and. And uh, sets in me. What can I do to let go? I, I, I see that it's here. I, I understand that. Okay, this is not good. This don't leads me to any good way. But it it, it remains. <laughs> <laughs> what can I do to you know? The
0: well, uh, so one of the um, uh, very very helpful practices that uh, that I, I learned from from Sumato many years ago, back in the. Late 80s and early 90s, he used to teach a lot about mindfulness of emotion. And um, that was uh, getting, uh, like, like I was saying to our, our friend here, getting to know emotion but not taking it personally. But, uh, and because uh, sometimes I think what would happen were people would come to him and say, Well, Ajahn Samhita, I'm a Buddhist, and Buddhists shouldn't have emotions, right? And so that would happen a few times. He thought, Wait, 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 wait. No. Uh, no, <laughs> it's not, it's, uh, that's a wrong understanding. So he began to talk a lot about how to relate to emotions in a skillful way. So if there's a, like a, a, a strong habit, say of anger arising, or you know, jealousy, or fear, then if you're aware, okay, this is a, a repeated event, uh, anger easily arises. I'm, I'm, my mind is always complaining about something, everything, um, okay so let's study that and what he would suggest is don't just wait for moments where that emotion has been triggered by an event something that somebody has said or something that you've seen or heard they recognize okay this is a strong habit so let's get to know this let's study this and so uh, um, and I did this a lot with, with anxiety I used to be a, a, a compulsive worrier. I used to worry about everything, roughly speaking. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I use this a lot with respect to anxiety, worry, fear, and such. Like. So um, what he would suggest is uh, in, in the meditation, bring your mind to as much quietness and calmness as you can. Then deliberately invite in some event uh, say it with anger, say someone, some person that you're angry about, or some government, some politician, or some me- uh, member of the family, or some work colleague who's done something outrageous. And that you know, you just have to, you don't need the whole story, but you, you're, you're interested in it to, to look at the feeling of anger. So you just, just think the word him, or her, or 1990. You know, this is a a very brief trigger of okay. You know the story already. You don't have to recount it. So, uh, so you bring the mind to as much calmness as possible. Then you uh, trigger that state by thinking of a person's name, or just her, or him, or uh, an event. You know, Tuesday. (laughs) Then, then the the tricky part then is having triggered. That wave of because just thinking of that person's name or their face or their event, um, often there's like a big you know, uh, sort of explosion or eruption of feeling, but that's you're you're inviting that. That's what that's what you're doing this for. So then the trickiest part of this practice is then to take the attention off the event, off that personality, and then turn it 180 degrees and go. Okay, this is the feeling of anger it feels like this so you deliberately take your attention off the person or the event and you turn it onto what you're feeling because if I'm afraid of you if I'm worried about you I'm looking at you I'm not looking at my feeling of worry (laughs) what's she she thinking what's she feeling is she okay I'm not worried about you but just for the sake of illustration so the attention goes to the object so with this practice and because you've kind of invited the, the emotion to arise, it's a little bit easier uh, so that you can let go of the event or the person and turn the attention back. This is what anger feels like. This is what resentment or fear feels like. It's like this. So uh, you then uh, f- bring your attention to where in the body you feel that. So it might be like a stiffness across your shoulders or it might be just everything going solid or everything you know, feeling very hot or uh or your belly tightening or with th- different emotions will have different effects for different people so uh, ideally you bring the attention to wherever in the body you feel the sensations of that emotion and to minimize the story just to know this is the feeling of anger it's like this it's this kind of Tightness you know, across my shoulders, or is my spine going into an, turning into an iron bar, it's like this, and just feel that. No commentary. No, it should be there or shouldn't be there, or uh, when's it going to be over. Just here it is, as as, cle- as fully and completely knowing and accepting that feeling, and then just staying with that consciously with that the sensation of that emotion as a physical as a felt sense. Uh, for a, a few minutes you know 2 or 3 minutes 3 or 4 minutes and then after a little time then consciously letting go and using and what he would recommend that i found helpful was just using the out breath the the natural quality of the exhalation as a a way of relaxing and letting go of the story letting go of the of the emotion and then and then focusing on that letting go and relaxing releasing until the the emotion has faded away so with this practice sometimes it takes 10 seconds to trigger it and then 45 minutes to let go of it so but that's uh, it's it, it's important to stay with it until okay you're back where you began the, with the mind in a quiet calm clear uh, state and so then uh in that process, and particularly when you've been able to know that physical sensation, okay, anger is like this, or resentment is like this, and feeling the physical sensation, uh, what, what I found was like, oh, when, when there's anxiety, when there's fear, this is what it's like. I said, oh, it's, it's just a tightness in the body, it's just a kind of st- a stiffness, it's not even that painful. Oh why do i spend so much time and effort trying to get away from this it's not that bad it's not that complicated it's not um that stressful or burdensome and so in that process you're you're fully accepting the effects of that state you're knowing it and and there's that metta that loving kindness that radical acceptance for that angry feeling or that resentful feeling so you've uh, to some degree, you've accepted where that's come from within you. And so that you're getting to know the process of how anger works rather than, than having it tied to that person or that event or that particular thing. And uh, and I found that an extremely, extremely helpful practice. First of all, you, you kind of need to do it just like in the quietness of the meditation hall or when you're sitting still by yourself. But as you develop that as a, a skill in a sort of a quiet and in a way sort of preserved environment, then you find you can do it kind of on the fly, when you're actually with that person, <laughs> you know, or, or that politician's on the TV screen, and, and then it's like... <clears throat> and you can... F- oh, that, there's that reaction going on. You can turn the attention around, feel it in your belly or chest or your shoulders or your neck or... Oh, it's that anger reaction, it's that uh, resentment reaction, aha. And then uh, knowing it, feeling it, letting it go. So you develop it in the quietness and the sort of more kind of, um, uh, sort of almost sterile environment of the meditation hall or in formal practice. But then as you develop the skill, you can use it on the fly in the middle of conversations and business meetings and family gatherings and such like so that was your first question, so, uh, can, you, can you follow that? I mean, that, I've, I've explained it quite briefly, but that's, I found it a really, really helpful practice. Of, uh, because you get to know emotion in a non-personal way. You're not suppressing it, you're not saying anger is a terrible thing, or I'm an awful person because I'm jealous, or resentful, or lustful, or an- you know, anxious. I'm an emotional wreck because I'm so anxious. There's no, I, I am surrounded, it's just, this is anxiety. This is fear, this is anger it's like this, and so there's there's no suppression, but you're just knowing those qualities as a part of nature and your second question was what thank
2: you thank you very much Arja. the second question is when the um, arises a feeling very strong for instance hunger okay I am in a situation it comes up I know that it's coming up and it that is uh, it can be i can I can have a, a bad reaction <laughs> <laughs> what can i do i remember once some years ago Ajahn mom says that when uh, a anger arises he he run away to his room to look for <laughs> the anger but if i am with someone it's i can not uh, uh, be able to run <laughs> so, yeah
0: well first uh, thing is don't keep a gun in the house J- joking and not joking <laughs> um, the the precepts I mean in a way, the precepts, taking the precepts, keeping the precepts, that's one of the most powerful tools. that's why in our Buddhist customs that the you have this it's not just sort of like a baptism, you sort of have it once at the beginning of your life, and then you're good to go for the next sixty years you you kind of get rebaptized every weekend. <laughs> You know that you take the precepts over and over and over again, because that's what uh is uh, uh, a helpful resource is a helpful set of tools, okay, even if there's this angry feeling okay um I've taken the precept against physical you know, against killing and harming so okay uh, uh, the the precepts provide a kind of barrier a kind of uh, buffer so that there's at least a little bit of something that mind has to climb over. I often compare the precepts, like in, in the film Jurassic Park, with all the, the dinosaurs and the reptiles have kept in the inside the park. When the fence came down, then all the dinosaurs could escape and cause all kinds of problems. So the precepts, the five precepts, are like the, the ring fencing the reptiles, or the reptile brain. <laughs> so the precepts are like that fence and keeping the fence. Well established, and and the, the gates appropriately closed, so that then those impulses, as they arise, like might be angry or violent or greedy, and deceitful, and then it's just that that kind of a fence, a psychological fence, that uh, it's not it's not suppressing them uh, or, or or hating ourselves on account of them, but it's just that fence being there for the those impulses to be acted on, there has to be a, a, a climbing over. You know, so, that as long, so reiterating commitment to the precepts, you know, and meaning it, <laughs> as we refresh the precepts, really meaning it, then in those hot situations, okay, I haven't got a gun in my purse, and <laughs> I want to, I want to punch this person, but I won't. Yeah. And, and Lumpur Sumedha himself, he's talked about how uh, when he was um, particularly aggrieved at the uh, the lodgings monk at Wat Bopong in his early days as a monk there, that he felt that, that the monk who looked after the lodgings was being particularly unfair. And he had a certain aggressive impulse. He, uh, uh, you know, have, being a monk, and <laughs> not, you, know, you can't hit people, so he uh, he took his leave and hit a tree. So, so I think, ow! You know. <laughs> he took it out on a tree, but it was like something had to be kind of, be sort of vented. But he knew, don't don't hit the monk, hit a tree. And, uh, that uh, is a uh, a way of of uh, acknowledging, yeah. There's an energy wants to be let out, but you know, just the precepts are the the guardians of the heart. So taking the precepts seriously and. And then it uh, it's a uh, very powerful, skillful means. It's also a gift to others. The Buddha talked about the five precepts as the five mahadana, the five great gifts. Because if you've taken a precept against uh, uh, against being violent, that means the people who you're with are, s- are safe. They, they, they don't have to be afraid of you. If you've taken the precept about honesty, musavada, you know, uh, uh, they know... Um, that you're not going to lie to them. So it's a gift. You know, people uh, can feel safe, can feel at ease. So it's called Abhayadana, the, the giving of fearlessness, is the, uh, the basis of which is keeping the precepts. Okay, time maybe for one more. Yes, at the back there. If you, if you can use the microphone, that would be helpful.
3: connected to what Silo asking sort of because I have been trying to find um, if I am, I'm afraid of being selfish because I live on my own and I always look after myself and I think I'm trying to be unselfish You I think you're trying to be what? Not selfish but I <laughs> sometimes think I am selfish so I don't know if that's like greed or anger uh, so I ask am I being selfish? I ask other people I, how can I differentiate um, I think it's a bit greedy and a bit anger but I'm not sure <laughs> and you talk about selfish and that's what I've been thinking about for a day or two uh, how I can differentiate and then um, well, I, as I say I, sometimes I think I'm not being selfish because most of my life I've done things for this but then I think there's something inside very subtle which is being selfish but I don't know so how do you work with it then? How can I face this one because it's elusive? It's a bit like the side card, you know, and there's like the main one, and then there's this subtle ones because I don't want to be in separation, but I, I am not sure how
0: to um, recognize it. Well, uh, if if I'm following um, the the thread of what you're saying that. Uh, it's difficult to know uh, our, our motivation in any one moment. And so just to, to be ready to ask the question, where's this coming from? Like, uh, uh, I've been helping out with this, that and the other all day and now I'm glad to be in my room by, my, by myself without anybody else. Is this being selfish? What is this? How does this feel? And then the, the more that that kind of question can be asked in an unbiased way, that uh that uh to um to really just raise that perspective okay and and then just to see what arises to say uh no and then it might be that well you no know, you've been <laughs> uh, you've been uh helping out uh, you've been with people all day long helping out with this that and the other so the fact that you're in your room by yourself and you're just <sighs> delighting in solitude is that well this too is something that is praiseworthy and and uh, and uh, not uh, not anything unwholesome in and of itself, or it can be that it's not you just you're not sure. It's like, well, I'm not sure where this is coming from. Uh, maybe there's part of me that's avoiding a responsibility. Maybe there's nothing I need to be doing. I'm not sure. So in that moment, what you can know is the not sureness, like that uh, that uh, sometimes certainty is not available think, oh, i'm not sure where this is coming from okay well let's just watch this and see uh, uh, see what it turns into or see what arises so looking for certainty in mind states and being able to judge exactly what's going on is uh, i would say is a, a, a project that's not going to have good results <laughs> sometimes you know, we have a clear intuitive sense like no you there's uh uh, this is absolutely fine, uh, or no, you're not being selfish at all. And other times, like, yes, actually, you know, you're being really lazy. It might be clear and obvious and close to the surface. Other times, you know, often for, for most people, like, I'm not sure. It's not, a, it's not clear, it's fuzzy. At that moment, the important thing to know is it's fuzzy, <laughs> it's not clear. And to not try and fill up that unknown with an idea or an opinion or just okay I'm not quite sure but let's just go with this and see uh, see what comes of it that um, we might want certainty but uh, sometimes often in life it's uh, it, things are, are, are mixed or they're, they're unclear and so rather it's more helpful to just to allow things to be uncertain. Well, at the moment, I'm not quite sure what what the motivation is. Um, it's not it's not clear. It's it's blurry. It's like a you know a hazy hazy summer weather or on, on a, night, a night time. You know it's dark. You can't see very far. It's it, that's the nature of the the situation. You can't see far. It's not clear. So to be at ease with not being not knowing is a big part of our our practice In the, there's a wonderful long Pali word for that ananya tanyasa Mitindria means knowing the unknown like knowing I don't know what's going on <laughs> I don't know what this is and you can know that you don't know and be at peace with that so that's uh, the, um, the kind of thing I, I'd recommend um, the the one of the things, that the, the other thing I would say is that out of a fear of being, not wanting to be selfish, we can make ourselves compulsively busy and, uh, and actually feed a sense of, of self <laughs> through trying to be unselfish. So we become a compulsive helper or a compulsive doer and we've got to try and get rid of that, that, we try and get rid of that feeling of, oh, I'm being lazy, I'm being selfish like, by, by just never stopping and that doesn't help either so um to uh, uh in a way to to trust your own good-heartedness to to look at your own heart and and, and, and yeah you know, i can I, I speak about this because i was a kind of compulsive helper and compulsive doer myself along with being very anxious <laughs> i used to to deal anxiety by just being busy all the time uh but to just trust in your good heart like to know if I could do more, I would do more. But I, this is the limit of what I can do, so I'll just leave things alone. And uh, so that makes life a lot more spacious. And so that, uh, that I would be cautious about not just being busy and active, to stave off that feeling of, I don't want to be selfish, or I don't want people to think badly of me, because that can just make us anxious and, and busy. And that doesn't help us, and doesn't help the people that we live with. So I hope that's that's uh, some of that is useful for you.
3: Yes, because I I tried a little bit of the second one you said, and then I felt maybe my ego was actually. If you can put the
0: microphone closer to your mouth. So.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I think maybe best thing is when I'm feeling like that not to do anything I, just, I don't know if that's what you're saying but that's how I understood that you can just rest with not knowing but the next thing is then it means best not to do either from that place of uncertainty
0: best not to do yes, to just not to fill, fill filling up that uncertain feeling with, with activity doesn't help better to be at peace with uncertainty so uh, four o'clock has come around, so let's draw things to a close there for today. Thank you for your, your good questions and your uh, attention. Next week, the theme is Nice Guys Finish Last, or Do They? <laughs> Again, I didn't, I didn't uh, come up with any of these titles. These are contributed by the large array of uh, Sangha members. So that's the theme for next week. Nice Guys Finish Last, or Do They? So. Go well.